Welcome to Facilitating the Mission, the podcast of Shepherd Staff Mission Facilitators. My name is Brian Mondock. And my name is Jeff Jackson. Jeff Jackson, so good to hear your voice. And it's so cool to have the Trotters online with us today as Jonathan is just back from checking the rat trap. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, so true. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was a gecko. So, oh man. Well, 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 how exotic is that? So, tell us where you are, then, Jonathan. So we're in and Phnom Elizabeth. Penh. Yeah. Hello. Hey. <laughs> we're in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Very cool. Tell me what happens after you trap a gecko. Oh goodness. Oh. Well, we're fortunate to have access to normal mouse traps here, so <laughs> we just dispose of it, and then uh, the the rat lives another day. <laughs> <And> <laughs> go to the store to get more traps uh, to get it out of our kitchen. I know that food in uh, Cambodia can be quite quite exotic. I myself have eaten spiders bought off the street in Siem Reap. <laughs> um, so I don't know if, if maybe that's where the gecko's heading to some street vendor, no? no I don't know. You, you may have been in Cambodia before there was Krispy Kreme. So, <laughs> oh my have, God. Uh, we have uh, Krispy Kreme and uh, Carl's Jr. and all sorts of good stuff. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. It's it's been it's been over a decade since I've been there. So, oh man, we have Starbucks now. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, if that's a good thing. It depends <laughs> on your checkbook. Well, and just the miracle of modern technology. Because for for those of you that are listening to this, you know, I'm here in California. It's like just after six o'clock in the morning. Brian's on the East Coast, nine o'clock, and it's nine p.m. over there in Cambodia. We're all talking lifetime. It's amazing, amazing technology. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, incredibly. We got the trotters on the line. Jonathan is a prolific writer. Uh, he's a prolific blogger and author. And, you know, so we, and Jeff is a prolific reader and sharer of the things that he reads as well as a blogger. And so he's just a guy that is in our world as far as missions, as far as training and caring for missionaries. And so we really wanted to spend time with Jonathan and Elizabeth today. And, and basically hear your story. Well, that'll be fun. I, I will also say Elizabeth is the uh, editor of mine <laughs> and, and writes uh, a ton as well. So I, yeah. uh, yes. my writing uh, would not exist without her writing and her editing. Uh, and the, the book that we'll talk about later is about half Elizabeth's half mine. So right. um, don't want to lose her from the beginning. <laughs> She's here. Yeah. Now, She's Elizabeth, are you, are you also officially an editor for A Life Overseas? Yes, I'm the I'm the head editor at A Life Overseas. You are yeah. okay. Well, yeah, a lot of our listeners will know about that. So awesome. We'll get into that too a little later, maybe because that's definitely something you've stepped into since you've yes. been over there, correct? And I and I love it. So yeah, good, awesome. It's definitely one of our favorite blogs. Jeff shares your you know posts from you guys probably already know this, but he shares uh you know a couple of blog posts of yours a week because it's a tremendous resource. And again, that's 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 how I heard of you guys is just reading the dynamite stuff that Jeff shares that you've written. Thanks. That's encouraging. Sometimes you you send that stuff out into the into <laughs> the ether and you hope that God uses it somehow, somewhere to encourage or challenge or bless someone. Um, you don't always know, but it's nice to to hear a live voice saying, hey, this is kind of helpful sometimes. Oh, it's huge. Huge. <laughs> Absolutely. It's huge. We love it. So tell us how you got to the mission field. Well, I, I think, well, I think actually it, it's kind of starts with Jonathan's story and mm. then I kind of 
merge yeah. in in <laughs> well, later on. So you can you you can start. Sure. And then I'll, I I'll tell mean, mine. I was raised on all the the missionary biographies and and uh, that whole culture and and really felt called by God to uh, to missions when I was ten or eleven years old. Uh, originally hoping and wanting it to be missionary aviation. So that was, uh, you know, the Nate Saint era and and a natural love of, of aviation for me. Long story short, got steered in a different direction through my dad. And that, that sounded good to me at the time to pursue some other education in, in law. Fell in love with Elizabeth uh, and got married in college. And then, uh, so I was studying law and then went into nursing because I thought, well, hey, and we talked about it and Elizabeth was studying chemical engineering at the time. We thought if we end up on the mission field, uh, my legal background might not be as helpful. Um, now I know that hmm. it could be as well. Okay. But at the time, I thought if I end up practicing law, nursing would be helpful. And if we end up in a foreign field, nursing could be helpful. So let's do nursing and, and did that while working bivocationally uh, as youth pastor, because that's fun. Um, <laughs> well, I worked as an ER trauma nurse and then would take a break from that and go work with teenagers and take a break from teenagers and go work in the trauma unit. Um, Working with teenagers. Oh, yeah, Ever we love we youth ministry. College, kind of fell into youth ministry as college students. What city were you guys going to school in and living in at that time? We were in Rolla, Missouri, which is kind of right there, just in the middle. Yeah, just Rolla, in Missouri. Missouri. Okay. Uh, there's an engineering uh, school there. Oh, okay. from Kansas City originally. But um, I, when I was working at the hospital, I was watching people die all the time. And um, I think God really used that as a, I don't know if a wake up call, but just sort of a reminder to me because I'd go to the ER and most people live, but some people die and you would see somebody come in um, alive and you would do everything you could to save them. All this hubbub around the trauma room, and everyone's moving fast and doing their job. And then sometimes they die and, and, and then everybody goes back to their job. And it was it was very sobering to realize, okay, if, if, if what I believe, if what I say I believe really is true, that then this really matters and there's, there's an eternity that matters. So started looking into what would going to a place that knew about Jesus less, what would that look like? So that launched us onto a path of looking into uh, one of the only mission organizations we had heard of, <laughs> team expansion, applying and, and going through that process. And that's the short story. Well, I had some bumps along the road. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I didn't... Are you guys with Team Expansion now? Yes, we, we are. are. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, right. now you reveal in your in your book, and we're going to get to this later, you know, uh, probably a little bit more in depth, but, but Elizabeth, at that time, you would have been categorized as a trailing spouse? Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so explain <laughs> that at that time, what that meant. To... <laughs> uh, yeah, it meant that I did not want to move overseas. Um, it just wasn't on my horizons. You know, we were when we got married and, you know, we were young and happy and in love. And we'd had we I just had our third child and I wanted to have more children, but I have high risk births. Pregnancies are fine, but the births are kind of risky. OK. And I when he he just kind of said this to me one day, like, I want to move to the mission field. And I was <laughs> I was actually holding holding this brand new baby, and and, <laughs> and I said, but, but I want to have another baby. <laughs> I like can't because I you know I can't give birth in a in a developing country, and so that that just kind of started 
started us on that journey. Uh, we filled out the paperwork. I was very honest mm -hmm. with the organization right from the very beginning, which is like amazing that they kept working with us. Uh, well, um, we found out later that <laughs> she was so honest on the paperwork that uh, some people on the, on the committee re recommended that we not be accepted as applicants. <laughs> yeah, okay. I would um, totally, at this point, I would be like, agree with those yeah people, absolutely right i'd be like no these people are not ready right we but weren't it's we weren't so right then. good when when people are honest because mm -hmm. sometimes i work with people in the application process who are being really honest about oh you know i struggle with anxiety or depression or you know this is going on and and what should i do if i want to be okay on the field i've heard questions from you know people struggling with eating disorders i know Jonathan has probably talked to men struggling with pornography. Mm -hmm. And so you, it's really good to be honest in the application process because you can get started talking to someone who can help you. And they did. They put me in touch with different people who could give me information about what is a trailing spouse um, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it was still a long process. Mm -hmm. And I had to go through like my own experiences of, of trying to hear a call from God because I, in the end, I, I think I needed that. I needed to hear from him directly as opposed to just thinking, oh, you know, my husband has this call. So obviously, you know, that means I have one. I really needed one. If we had rushed that, I mean, we got some really good advice from the leaders at our, our church, too, who said, like, slow down. Hold on. It's <laughs> very important that you two be on the same page. Mm -hmm. And I needed to hear that from the leadership. And if we had, if I had pushed through, um, well, I don't think our organization would have led us anyway, but if I had kept pushing and we had come to the field before uh, that had kind of gotten settled out between us, I think it would have been disastrous. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. Because the first time someone yeah. gets really sick, yeah. the first time, you know, you <laughs> get robbed, you know, it's that other spouse's right. fault. Uh, right. Dragged you there. Yeah. How long did it take you guys to work through that? I think so I just had my third baby when when it when the first conversation happened. The conversation and, didn't go how I thought it was yeah. going to go. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time I was about halfway through the next pregnancy, I was totally on board. And so I think that was like 18 months mm -hmm. of really up and down. So there would be times where I in those 18 months where I thought okay, I can do this. Like I have the courage to, to do this. I, I think I can do this. And then something would happen and I would just be, no, I can't, I can't do this. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely up and down for those yeah. 18 months. And I was, I mean, that was a really stressful time um, for us in our, in our marriage too. I mean, one of the things that happened, we had a survey trip planned and was it like two days before our survey trip, I was going to be traveling. Uh, well, I mean, we were both going to be traveling with yes. just the two of us, right? Yeah. And and then two days before, Elizabeth said, I, I can't go. I, I, I just wow. really can't go. Yeah. And I was like, that's a lot of money. Come on. I mean, <laughs> I, was, I was having some complications with my, I was pregnant. Right. <laughs> and so there was some fear there too. And and I was like, I don't, how do you, how do you just not go? We, we have tickets and like for two days from now, she was still fine with me going. So I went ahead and went on the, on the trip and took a lot of videos to show her. And that was also good that, that she, she stuck up for herself, stood up for herself and, um, and, uh, didn't go on that trip, I think. Yeah, it was good. Got a lot of See, what kind of church culture did you guys 
come from? I mean, some church cultures really like, you know, the wife totally has to submit to the man no matter what. I mean, I mean, you guys sure, get yeah, that, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, I mean, we get that. <laughs> um, how was how was your support? What kind of support system did you have from the church? I mean, was it that kind of mandate or narrative? Yeah, you know, can you break that down a little bit? Because the reason I say that is that. For a lot of our listeners, you know, that's kind of that's that's the sure. culture they come from is, you know, no matter what the man does, the the woman follows and she needs to get in line no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's really we're kind of pointing at about. each other like who wants to answer <laughs> yeah. that one? Yeah. Well, while you're thinking about that, I want to I want to piggyback on that because you were I was going to eventually I was going to get around to the the role of the that the church played. And your your mm. church played in the calling, and then Jonathan, you referenced it. So maybe yeah. you can describe that for us. What you know, what right. what role did the church play in your preparation and your confirmation and so forth? Yeah, I, I, it's it's a, a good thing to discuss because our our church is a um, a very Bible based church that was trying to you know follow the scriptures and would look from the outside um, fairly fundamentalist um, now. Uh, whatever that word means, that that was the church that we were coming from. How, however, the atmosphere in the um, in the leadership when it came to our marriage anyway was very, uh, I think what people would call now egalitarian, where they told us as a couple, hey, listen, uh, you know, Elizabeth sobbing in the office. And I'm like, I think we should do this. I think this is what God's calling us to. And a couple of these older guys said, you know, God's God can use you wherever you are. And both of you need to get to a spot where no matter what you do or whatever decision you come to, you both have to be willing to never hold that over the other person. Mm -hmm. Does that sound accurate? Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, yeah. Well, they and they surprised us. Yeah. You know, we were not expecting that actually. We did come from this very conservative church culture and, and I, you know, I was putting that on myself like, oh, my husband says we're going to do this. So, you know, obviously that's what we're going to do, yeah. but we were we really needed help. So we went and talked to our elders and they surprised us because these men just kept saying like, you know, I've, I've not done things in my life because it was going to be too hard for my wife. Mm -hmm. Or just talked about how like the marriage is more important mm -hmm. um, than what you do. And I wasn't expecting that. And yeah, neither was <laughs> No, and I look back and see the tremendous wisdom of that. It was mm -hmm. it, it was boiling down to you two need to make sure that you love each other well mm -hmm. and let whatever ministry happens happen out of that. Was I think basically what they were saying. Yeah. And um and then the counsel I received from a long-term missionary with our organization was yeah. the same. To to whatever you do, neither one holds it over the other. Yeah. And um and so I had to get to the spot where, I mean, because I, I was at a place where I felt like if I don't move overseas, then like my life is ruined, you know, and, and that sounds dramatic. But I but I, I talk with people all the time who come to that spot where they're like, oh, this is what God's calling me to do. And it's all sorts of spiritual language. And if I don't do it, then right. the plan of God for my life is totally screwed forever. Mm -hmm. I had to get to a spot where I I knew that I could stay in Midwest, the United States and be okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds so silly now, but I really had to wrestle with that on my side of things. And that was what the, the leadership's council helped me to do. Cause these guys are, I respected their, their counsel, their advice. And they were saying, Jonathan, you need to love your wife. And I, they didn't know this research now, the, you know, 
the leading researcher, marriage researcher in, in the United States says one of the main indicators of long-term satisfying marriage is whether or not the husband accepts influence from the wife. And I just find that really fascinating because I, I kind of did that against my will in, at that point. We hadn't, we didn't have a habit of making decisions like that, but when it came to this, there was a little bit of a push pull. Right. Yeah. Cause it um, seemed like such a high stakes decision and right. such a spiritual decision. Yes. You know, because we did have a habit of trying to make decisions together, but this one seemed so big and we were in opposition to right. one another, whereas we generally really got along <laughs> and thought the same things. Yeah. yeah. And how could God be telling one of us one thing and not the other? And so it's kind of a faith crisis. too. Well, the, one of the things that you mentioned, Jonathan, was that you're a reader of missionary biographies. Did I, I did hear that, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I can't, I can't, yeah. th- and, and I've read a ton of missionary bi- biography myself, and I can't think of any missionaries in history where there was like a conversation between the husband and wife, like, you know, is God telling you to do this too? I mean, lo- you know, lots and lots of times in our missionary heritage, the, the man went off to the mission field and left the wife home. I and know. And I think that is a blight on our history, honestly. <laughs> yeah. That uh, that is, uh, that does persist. I, I think that that it does persist, and the stories that we tell ourselves matter. And I, I never want to denigrate those biographies I read because they did work something in me that that was very good. And a lot of those biographies are very strong women. Uh, Elizabeth and I were just talking about this today. Uh, you know, Amy Carmichael, yes. Elizabeth Elliot, Gladys Aylward. Um, there's more who were very strong, capable yes. women. But again, they, that, there wasn't a lot of discussion that was happening about marriage and decisions of, around mission and marriage. It was either a single lady or a man. Uh, and if it was a man, then we didn't really care that much about his wife or family, which is, is I mean, that is really unfortunate. And there's been a lot written about that, I think, mm-hmm. in, in the, the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I am grateful for those biographies, but I think that there is there is a balance that has to be had because the stories that those tell is a little lopsided sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, so uh, now, now was your church at that time? Was it? Would you consider it a sort of a missions minded or missions engaged church? And you were just the next step in that mm. process, or were you maybe the actual members that were launched overseas? Yeah, I think we were the first that they had sent from uh, like from that location. We had supported other missionaries, but I think we were the first kind of homegrown. Mm. um, It was a medium sized church, about three hundred people, three fifty at the time. Yeah, I would say that it was a very it was a very loving church at the time. It wasn't. We were aware of cross cultural work, but wasn't necessarily uh, chomping at the bit to be involved in cross cultural Mm -hmm. work. I had been on staff there for six years at the time. So we had a lot of relationships there. And I think we, were, we really were blessed by the support that we received um, because a lot of people knew us. And um, my we we were in high school together there, actually. So, I mean, it's our, like our, our family okay. church. I grew up going there. So there was, there was a lot of history that even though the church didn't have this, oh, yes, we love Cambodia. We've been praying about Cambodia for a long time. They, they knew us and they knew our hearts. And so we felt tremendous love and support uh, from the majority of people yeah. okay. <laughs> when we, uh, when we started the process. So how did you, how did you zero in on Cambodia? Was that, were you directed there sort of in prayer in your own study or was it the, uh, organi- the, the agency that said, Hey, we've got a need there. We think you might be a good fit for, or how'd that come about? Yeah. 
Well, it's it's not very spiritual. Um, and I <laughs> I uh, had heard of Cambodia because a few years before we started the process, uh, my father was actually uh, looking into moving to Cambodia to do uh, dentistry mm. uh, in in dent, like in dental missions or however you call right. that. Um, and that was the first time I heard of of Cambodia. He ended up getting sick with brain cancer and passed away a few months before he and the rest of my family were um, to move to mm. Cambodia. So th that's that's how okay. I first heard of mm -hmm. Cambodia. And then when we started talking about feeling sort of called to cross-cultural work, uh, neither of us felt a specific locale. Neither of us had to like, I'll always end up in Africa. You know, like a lot of uh, are always just, uh, you know, whatever country has always been on my heart mm -hmm. or this place in the Middle East or whatever. We, we didn't have that at all. So when we talked with our mission organization, we said that we said, I, here's who we are. Um, we feel called to go, but we don't feel called to a specific place. What do you think? You guys know a lot more about cross-cultural work than mm -hmm. we do. And so they came back, actually, the leadership came back and said, well, Hey, you're with your family and with the, the, um, the age of your kids and, and, uh, the needs in Cambodia, we recommend that you look into Cambodia. And so we did. We started praying about it then and then took a survey trip or two uh, and then moved. So it wasn't really like a, a megaphone in the mm -hmm. sky kind of moment. It's more of a, well, the, we're going to listen to the, the leadership of this organization and this, this feels right. So let's go. Yes. And then after you came back from the first survey trip that mm. you went on alone, you loved it. You had fallen in love with the country. So, oh, I forgot so that, that kind of like clinched it for us. We're like, yeah. Well, I'm lurking on your guys' Facebook page. I'm I'm looking for a particular article that I love and I just can't find it. Mm. But I'm I'm like I'm like, wow, this guy writes for relevant. This guy writes for Christianity today. I mean, you're yeah. <laughs> super prolific. Can you talk about your role a little bit? Do you want to start, Elizabeth, or talk about your role at, at a life overseas or in the community? Sure. I can talk about well, it. Well, hey, overseas. prior to prior to doing that, can we um Tell us a bit more of once you, you went over there expecting to be serving in a certain capacity and that sort of morphed when you got over mm -hmm. there. So can you can you kind of give us that yeah. and then yep. and then yep. we'll move into the stuff that you guys have been writing in the midst of all that. Okay. Yeah, Elizabeth, you wanna go? Or you want me to? Sure. Well we we first thought we would work with like neighborhood kids. We had some local contacts. A kids club. Yeah, of. and and we had done children's ministry in our church in the States and we're really excited about that. And we thought that would be, be great. It, it got more and more difficult. The local ministry we had in the States trying to work with the neighborhood of kids we were working with. And so I think that then when we moved here, we thought maybe we don't know how to do that very well. Maybe our specialty. And then you know, I took some language, but also was taking care of the kids. And Jonathan did two years of full-time language then to try to do some church planting work. And then, yeah, things changed in the middle. <laughs> things changed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our, our organization, again, I, it was very helpful to us because they, they were okay with us not having a, a really specific idea, but knowing that we wanted to be involved in local discipleship and church planting, specifically church planting movements. So that was a big part of what we were uh, hoping to do and planning to do when we landed uh, in Phnom Penh. So a lot of my energy in, in language learning and then contact and, and discipleship being discipled by older folks who are already doing that 
uh, was centered around the church planting movement world, uh, church multiplication mm-hmm. movement, uh, that type of thing, which is a big focus of our mission organization right. and still is, and is an amazing thing. I, I, those ideas and the uh, the goal of reaching many, many people with for Christ is astounding. When we hit the ground in Phnom Penh, though, and started listening to what was happening here, actually <laughs> trying to listen to God, I went to a, a seminar six months after we landed. And in the seminar, there was a part where we were supposed to pray and really listen for where God was leading. And out of the blue, I really felt in this impression that my role in Cambodia would be discipling young people in pastoral counseling. And it really surprised me because I had never done pastoral counseling. Writing writing was a long ways off uh, here. We wrote newsletters, but that was it. I mean, we started the blog, trottersforone.com, so that people would have a way to give money <laughs> to wow. support us. <laughs> and so we could have a place to put our newsletter. So writing was not. And so this pastoral counseling idea was crazy and seemed way out of the blue. But it did resonate with me quite a bit. And I started keeping my ears open for people who were involved in uh, emotional well-being in Cambodia, in uh, the psychological world of of, uh, Christian missionaries here who were working in that area. It was just like one or two people. (laughs) And so I I started contacting them and I started reading books. And then I signed up for a couple of trainings back in the States that were just short pastoral counseling trainings. And one thing led to another. And uh, we were approached by an international church to come on board with a specific goal of doing pastoral care. And then after working there for a little while, I was approached by a local new counseling center here in Phnom Penh that had some professional psychologists on board and then was inviting me to join as a pastoral counselor. Uh, And it was completely out of the blue. We didn't sign up for it. And uh, we spent a lot of time praying and thinking and then said yes. So at this point now in, in our world, my primary job uh, is not writing. My primary job, my day job, is meeting with people for pastoral counseling. So that's that's what I love. That's That really is the heartbeat of what I do here. So some of it's member care. So it's like transition coaching, uh, grief, uh, grief and loss. But a lot of it is just basic pastoral counseling. So marriage and everything. Describe your client, your clientele, uh, the, the people that you're counseling. Are they mainly expats or are they nationals that live locally or what's yeah. the story? So, so I'm involved somewhat in some and have been over the past several years in some um, programs that are developing local Cambodian mm-hmm. leaders and local Cambodian counselors in pastoral counseling skills. Uh, and that's been super fun. Uh, it's challenging, but that's been super fun. So I'm not leading that, but I've been able to come alongside and do some teaching on grief and anger and pastoral care, pastoral counseling, which has been just fantastic. My main clientele at the counseling center is uh, international folks. Primary, I would say the majority are uh, cross-cultural workers of one stripe or another. And then with some some folks who are just in the community here who are not believers, who are needing help. And even after I tell them, hey, I do pastoral counseling, <laughs> I'm not going to force anything down your throat, but just so you know, I'm I'm a pastoral counselor. <laughs> uh, they're like, well, yeah, there's nobody else anyway, so okay, I'll so meet with you. Um, and, and it's been a privilege. It's, it's certainly a privilege and honor, uh, to sit with uh, everyone. Hmm. So... Um, that's my that's my day job and and that does for me that that rolls over into my writing so a lot of the writing that I do comes out of what I'm seeing and experiencing in the counseling room uh, that cross-cultural workers are, are dealing with or suffering from or 
um, that type of thing. So it's, it's, for me, it feels like the job is the same. What I do online is the same job that I try to do in the, in the counseling room. Um, and that's, as care about people and, and uh, walk alongside of people in, in, in pain often. Um, Elizabeth's role is a little bit different. I, I, I say that I am a pastor at heart who writes. So I, I write in order to pastor and Elizabeth is a writer who ends up pastoring. Hmm. I don't know if I said that right. That's how you yeah. said Did I say that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, what about you, Elizabeth? Um, about my role here sure. in Cambodia? Um, yeah, well, I've got the four kids that, <laughs> yeah. that I'm homeschooling. And, uh, we've got, they're older now, so their workload is um, more intense and, you know, have to manage that. And then, yeah, I write when I get a chance, which is not always. And I run the blog, A Life Overseas. So we got involved with a life overseas when we'd been on the field about two years, just as as guest posters. And then a few months later, they asked us to become regular contributors. And oh, I don't know, a year or two later, some of the edit on the editorial team were needing to take a step back and asked me to come on. <laughs> and I just did guest, like I was in charge of the guest posts at first, and then I kind of took over the whole whole thing well you didn't take it over <laughs> no i didn't take it over they asked me, yeah will you take this role i can't do this role anymore elizabeth and, really is the curator of a life overseas there's there's a leadership team of two oh, other people okay. and then the two of us elizabeth is the one who who has sort of invited uh newer writers as three or four years ago all any of the newer regular writers yeah. are i like to boast about this because elizabeth doesn't say it but uh, those writers uh that are in the last three or four years are because Elizabeth reached out to them and said, Hey, I like your stuff. We need your voice on the site. I think it could really help a lot of people. Uh, would you write for us? So she does that. And then also handles all of the guest posts um, on a life overseas, which are what five or six a month. Yeah. Um, More than that. Mm, no, yeah. it, it depends. I sometimes to, up to four and sometimes only two. I, I used <laughs> to tell people that um, I love, uh, you know, walking into the room and Elizabeth would be sitting on one of our cheap, like vinyl couches, um, typing away at, at uh, her computer, uh, saving the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got a niche, you know, it's making a huge impact. I mean, I, you, it's well known amongst the, a lot of the missionaries that I know oh, and we interact I'm glad with. i to so. hear that. Thanks for listening to part one of our interview with Elizabeth and Jonathan Trotter. Join us for part two when we take a deeper dive into the content of their book, Serving Well, Help for the Wannabe Newbie or Weary Cross-Cultural Christian Worker. 